0: Alright, what's up everybody? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and you are loved deeply. If you are in need of prayer, do not hesitate to reach out. Prayer at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com If you are looking for a spot for you to be able to engage with the saints, you can head on over to Facebook and look up the buddy walk community it is our private facebook group for you to be able to join and engage first off i'm back in studio this week so we'll be able to have some higher audio quality this week so that's good we are in week two of esther and we are cracking into chapter two now if you missed last week's episode We basically went into a bit of the history. We covered chapter one. We set the stage and described some things that were going on in and around the book of Esther at that moment in history. And this week we are jumping into Esther chapter two. I am going to be reading out of the ESV You can go ahead and read out of whichever version you would like. And I'm going to be kicking off with verse 1. So let's go. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Now, just to recap... The king had requested that Vashti, uh unveil herself, we'll say, in front of a bunch of drunken party guests. And she said no. He got angry and sent out a decree basically giving power of authority to the men of the household. So that way, the idea being that some other woman wouldn't pick up on what she did and turn around and, and try to do the same thing to her husband, basically not giving power to the women in this dynamic. And I feel the need to say, having said all of that, that this is one of those points where we have to remember that the Bible is discussing history. It's discussing a story. It's discussing people groups. It's not stating that those things are okay but just simply telling the story and giving the facts and so um that's important to take forward into this as we walk through this story then the king's young men who attended him said let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa the citadel under custody of Haggai the king's eunuch who is in charge of the women let their cosmetics be given them And let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. So as you know, the way that we do this is we paint the picture along the way. So we've already covered, okay, so what happened, this bit of partying and the king did what he did and the queen did what she did and now you move forward into chapter two where the king seems to be looking back on what had happened doesn't really speak to whether or not he was remorseful just that the anger of the moment had passed now that speaks to something that we need to talk about when discussing this book this book is not a linear timeline this happened and then immediately this happened and then immediately this happened and then immediately this happened we're gonna see years skipping ahead just later on in this in this chapter and so it's very possible that when it says that later, after some time, those sorts of things, that there is a, a time skip that's happening there because this is a time where the king was probably abroad. During that time, he fought wars against the armies of Greece. So it's very possible that this was that this was after well after the fact so we have the king's personal servants giving him advice that he should order people to find some beautiful young virgins for the king and that the king should point officials in all the countries that he rules where they can bring all of these young women to Haggai who will look after them and give them beauty treatments, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and then basically who the king likes most will be the queen. So that's kind of what we are seeing here. Now, there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, son of Shimai, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken into custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women for the king's palace, and advanced her and her young woman to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known and every day mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how esther was and what was happening to her so what's happening here is the we get a family lineage for esther and for mordecai we see that he is from the family of Benjamin, and we get a little bit of the lineage in that Mordecai had looked after his cousin because she had no father and mother. And then the writer interrupts the story to tell us about Esther and Mordecai. These are two very important people in the story. They were both Jews, and the king had taken the king of Judah and many of the Jews away from Jerusalem about a hundred years earlier. And so, as Hadessa, And so, the name Esther may be the same as Ishtar. We do have some examples of names within the Bible that have shifted from what they originally were due to translations and all of that. And so it is possible that she was given the name of the female God of love in Babylon. Oftentimes, the people in Babylon would give Jews the name of of their gods. The popular thought is that Esther was told not to tell about her. It's possible that the king would not have picked her if he would have known that she was. Is at that point in history. It was common practice for the king to choose from the seven noble families rather than somebody outside of that. But again, I say it's, it's conjecture because we don't really know. There are a lot of commentaries that at this point in the story would start to very heavily read in that God is orchestrating every single solitary beat of this entire story. And I don't know, maybe... Maybe he is, but there's a lot of things that have to happen along the way for this moment in history to be taking place like we talked about last week. And the beauty of the human experience is and, and God God's interaction with humans is, yes. He lays things on people's hearts. yes there are those moments where we are we are we f- are led to do something but it's our it's it's our role to accept or reject that and that's why it's a yes and sort of situation rather than saying it's either determinism or it's free will those two go hand in hand it's not one or the other All right, let's go ahead and crack back into it. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of beautifying, six months in oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. When the young women went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shiaschaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines she would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. A couple of things that I haven't already mentioned. So it's not like Esther had a choice in joining the concubine. Like, yes, this is ultimately something that we are building towards a positive coming from negative but ultimately it's not like this was like a choice that the woman had in joining another thing is that the uh, there is a thought that her name is prophetic in nature that Hadassah means myrtle, and in prophetic symbolism, the myrtle would replace the briars and thorns of the desert. So depicting the Lord's forgiveness and acceptance of his people, that's in Isaiah, that's in Zechariah. So just worth throwing out there along with everything else. So, we we pick up with verse 12, and we see that this is a year-long process. And, essentially, they go from one house, they spent the night with the king, and then went to a second house, not to be called again, unless the king... Liked her and called her by name. And this is one of those things where on paper, what's happening here uh, could get mistaken as a year of constant spa treatments. But the problem is, is if there's 400 women and they get one evening with the king, and even if he chose somebody, that person would essentially be his companion until she displeased him. And the other 399 would still be considered wives of the king and would rarely, if ever, see him afterwards. But they he, they were still tethered to the king, so essentially they were living in perpetual wi- widowhood. So it's important to take that into consideration when reading that. And so we are seeing here from the timeline of events that this is not a, like we talked about, linear series of exactly one right after the other. There are time skips that are happening throughout this because, like we said, He just had an unsuccessful conquest of Greece. And this is, remember, putting this into the actual moment in history, we can see what happens with King Xerxes. This is one of the more notable figures from world history that we have record of. All right, let's pick back up. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her, And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the 7th year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head, And made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Okay, so we're here. Esther has seven years into the king's reign has been called forward, so to speak. And we see that she had a very pleasant disposition towards everyone and that people liked her, including, obviously, the king. And she takes Haggai's advice and only takes with her what is advised and she obtains grace and favor in the sight of the king more than any of the other women. And she's chosen. And it's this is where it's important to take a pause and take a look at the circumstances as they are. You have this Jewish child of exiles from their land who both died and so she's raised by her cousin in a land that is hostile and she's forced into the king's harem and she finds favor and she's finally selected To be queen over this land. And this is where we need to pause and talk about the determinism of it all. So, most commentaries will break into quoting places like Psalms to discuss that this all happened exactly like God made Esther beautiful. God put Esther exactly in this position to do exactly what he wanted to do and all of those kinds of things. So here's the thing, right? When we look at this situation, yes, God's hand is in it. I'm not denying that. But just looking at this... From the standpoint of God is moving His puppets around, takes something away from the real beauty of the situation, and so what's truly remarkable about all of this is that God did lay it on, lay some some things on Esther's heart, did orchestrate something sure. But it was a response of a human that met the workings of God that set these things in motion. And so we're seeing that co action in place here. So everything as it's being written. Is very is is mostly straightforward. It helps to know some of the backstory, like we talked about last week, and to know some of the deeper elements, sure, but this is one of those things where we're more looking at at this moment in the story, a a moment in history, a period of time. And so when we understand the character of God and how He operates, then we can pull forward how God operates here at this moment at this time and not pull forward these concepts and these little quips that that get pulled out, these snippets, these sound bites, out of the text that we stay in this moment and understand what's happening here, that, that God is orchestrating and humans are responding. Because all of that, understanding all of that in its proper context is going to be very important as all of this Continues on, as this whole story continues on. And like last week, we see another feast. We see the establishments of these meals. And that where we are seeing the moving pieces of historical building blocks. So picking back up at 19... Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Remember, he was visiting on a regular basis to check in on Esther. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bingthan and Teresh Two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came from the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So, we have Mordecai saving the king's life, right? And that's where some of this gets a little choppy in our modern context and why we need to make sure that we are taking the whole story and not automatically saying oh wait the king is the villain and mordecai did something nice for the king and thus mordecai is the villain because that's not what we're seeing here so mordecai sitting at the king's gate would suggest that he was that he held a position that was associated with the decision makers and men of influence in the kingdom. However, we still don't have an association, a known association, between Mordecai and Esther. They haven't made that public. She hasn't publicly stated that she's Jewish. And this is where some of the weirdness of this book can come in, of the speculation as to why the name of God is not contained in this and that and why there's so much emphasis put on esther not stating publicly that she is jewish the popular thought is that it's because god is working behind the scenes and this is a book that highlights the power of god being bigger than acting in a way that we think that he should act Meaning, being bigger than thinking that there has to be this overt, oh, it's part of the Bible, and so every single person should scream from the rooftops that we're, that they're Jewish and that they believe in God because that's the right thing. And I think this community can appreciate that sometimes, sometimes you have to be discreet. And sometimes discretion is the better part of valor, as the old adage goes. And there are rabbinical teachings as to the reason why the name of God is not contained in this book. There are some that say that it is because the atmosphere is too easy to to profane the name of God. If it were to be read at a festival, others say that the name Yahweh is hidden in essentially acronyms throughout the text. That the final letters of successive words spell out Y-H-W-H. Some manuscripts even have those letters as being larger. You know, I'm... You guys know me. On some levels, I am the consummate skeptic. I think that humans will try very, very hard to see what they want to see. So, I'm not completely convinced that that's the case this really very well may be just as simple as this woman would have been persecuted if she would have come forward and stated the fact that she was Jewish. And so she didn't, but we can still look at this idea of the character of God that does not change being on display through the actions Of the Jewish people. It very well could be just that simple. But. When we get caught up in. Those specific aspects. Of trying to read. God's grand plan. Into every single solitary beat. As if humans do not have a choice. Or if we try to read in. This idea. That trying to explain away why the name of God is not contained in the book, then we miss the actual themes. We miss what's actually happening here. And, guys, that's why we get isolated texts that end up devoiding all meaning from the actual text. And we get folks in the West reading America into this book. Or we get isolated snippets of this that are used for motivational things on, on social media or motivational sound bites, but they, but that's not actually what they mean at all. So this is one of those areas where we need to understand the context in which the book was written. It was written under Persian rule for distribution in the Persian empire. So that's that and and that's it. So Mordecai hears of the assassination conspiracy and informs the king by way of Esther and essentially saves his life. And so this is an important Point for Mordecai because Mordecai's attitude wasn't, I'm a Jewish man in exile under a pagan king, so I don't care if he gets killed. Instead, he goes forward and and states what's happening here, and we could we could state what his motivations are. We're not fully given those at this point. So, I'm not going to go too far into why exactly he did that. He may have done that for Esther's benefit. He may have done that for wisdom's sake, for the sake of honoring the king. Something along those lines. Interesting historical side note, Ahasuerus would eventually be murdered by his prime minister, which is what led to... The following king to take the throne so both of the offenders were hanged on the gallows which that word gallows literally means tree however the idea isn't that they were hanged by way of noose in that very standard way that you would think of when you think of a hanging, but rather impalement on a stake. Kind of like crucifixion. So a pointed stake would be set upright in the ground and the person would be taken, placed on the sharp point, and then pulled down by his legs until the stake that went in passed through the body and essentially comes out the neck. It was a very cruel and vengeful form of execution. And so this is the beginning of also seeing Mordecai's ascension up the ranks through the Persian royal system. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this week. This is the uh, ascension of Esther to the throne. And then next week, we are going to see the goings on of the courts of the people and what happens going forward. But with, with that, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you for today. Father, I thank you that we have the ability to look through the lens of history and the people that you have seen fit to give us stories over. Father, I pray that you walk with us as we explore this book and keep us sensitive to the notes that we should be pulling out from this. Father, I thank you that your character does not change from time to time, that we can look back at this story even though your name is not expressly written and know that your hands are in this. Father, I thank you for this body of believers, Lord. I pray for strength and peace over this body of believers, Lord, and I thank you, Father, for their lives. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you all for joining us. We will catch you next week for the next installment for such a time as this. But for now, remember two very important things that you are prayed for and you are loved deeply. Peace, y'all.